The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from several different places around Southern California. We're so thrilled to be here with you on this Wednesday morning. And I believe that we have Dr. Grant Pichet with us. We had her a few minutes ago. Uh, there she is. It is Wednesday. Good morning, Dr. Grant Pichet. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning, everyone. So thrilled to have you for this segment that we call Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampiche is a true expert in the field of autism. If it sounds like I'm going a little bit fast, it's because I'm. we already have more questions than we can possibly get through today, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we can get through a lot of the questions that you guys have written in in the last week, plus things that you guys write in today. But as I was saying, Dr. Grampiche is a true expert in the field of autism. We're so lucky to have her for this hour for her to answer your questions. She's a clinical psychologist. She is uh, a BCBAD, is that correct? Okay. Uh, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of letters. Mm -hmm. And uh, she is the founder of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders and the founder of Autism Care Today, an amazing charity that we're gonna be talking more about in the coming days. Uh, but she's given us this hour to answer your questions. We're saying good morning to Nad and to Brandy. Uh, and we absolutely love that you guys are here with us already this morning. So Dr. Grampiche, welcome back. We've missed you because we took time off for Thanksgiving, but we're so thrilled that you are back with us. And are you ready to launch into, I'm going to rapid fire questions at you. Absolutely. Yes. I'm happy to be here. It's lovely to be back and I look forward to seeing the questions. Okay. I want to point out to everybody, there's lots of ways to connect that if you're uh, watching the show live, you're watching on YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, or Facebook, and you can interact with us on any one of those websites. I see that Brandy has her hand up. Go ahead, Brandy, ask a question. So if you're watching us in podcasts, you might be watching us on iTunes or listening to us on iTunes, Ghana. I mean, everywhere that there's podcasts, right? Any place that it's free for podcasts, we're there. If we're not, let us know because we mean to be there. So be writing in your questions. And a lot of these questions came in over the last week that I'm starting with um, on our homepage, which is autism-live.com. So let's start with a question. My nine-year-old has auditory processing disorder and sensitive hearing. He has noise-canceling headphones at school, but refuses to wear them. Parts of his school day are very loud since they do all subjects, including performance arts, in the same room. And a lot of times those rooms are echoey caverns, right? I encourage him, and so does his teacher, but he still refuses to wear those uh, noise-canceling headphones. Um, some of his classmates use them too, but he still won't put them on. How can we get him to wear them? And thank you so much for all your ideas. Sure, and that's uh, it's uh, common, Shannon. You and I have talked about how we always try to do things uh, when they're happening. We try to our we try to teach our kids new behaviors in the in the environment in the real world, and when they're happening, and that's usually why we don't succeed. Um, this, like anything else, kind of needs to have its own time and attention. This, and it's an easy one, so. Don't worry, it's gonna be easy to change this behavior. You just need to do it as an exercise, not when, and, and not only try to fix it when it's actually happening. So um, the way that you do this is like any other behavior that you wanna change, you just shape the behavior. So at home, when uh, you have time and there's nothing else going on, 
uh, you will start by putting the, or giving him, depending on his abilities, uh, you will give him the headphones or put the headphones on him for, you know, 10 seconds and then immediately reward him. And, th and that 10 seconds can be more or less. It really depends on what is his baseline? What's the amount of time that he's comfortable keeping those headphones on right now? It could be one second or it could be a minute. It depends on, on him. And so uh, just have start there. You don't want to uh, force him to put them on. You just want to start with the baseline level that he is comfortable with. And you reward it. And you reward it with something meaningful. I, I always say that ABA is 100% dependent on reinforcers, on rewards. And you have everyone has something that they enjoy or want, right? So for him, it could be, uh, you know, a game, a toy, a food item, attention, going outside, it doesn't matter what it is, but uh, preferably you use something that doesn't take up a lot of time. For example, uh, giving him a small piece of a cookie or giving him uh, a toy that will take very, very short period of time to engage with, um, and or social. If he's a social, if he enjoys social praise, of course, that is the number one thing. Uh, praise him, give him, give him a lot of reward. And then you very gradually increase that time frame. So let's say you're at 15 seconds. Uh, you know, tomorrow we're going to do 20 seconds and you will get the reward. Now make sure the reward is visible. Uh, sometimes it helps our kids to, to see the reward. On the other hand, with some kids, if they see the reward, they get distracted and they want to go for it. You can just kind of have to see where he's at. And you shape the behavior, which means over a period of days, you increase it. And you do that gradually to the point where he is... Uh, able to keep the headphones on. Now you need to work with the teacher. It's wonderful that you have a teacher who's also encouraging this so that when it's time to actually test this out in school, the teacher is willing to also reward him in a meaningful way for keeping his headphones on. Now this could be a number of different ways. It could be a token system. It depends on his level and abilities. If he's into token systems, that would be, for example, a star chart, right? Where he gets a star every minute that he keeps the headphones on. And then once he has five stars, let's say he gets to have a break or he gets to have access to a toy, something like that. It could also be that when he puts the headphones on, he's able to listen to something he really enjoys, like let's say uh, a short period of music or something like that. Now, this is, we, we want him to put it on, but, uh, and I assume it, if he's putting noise canceling headphones on, that means uh, it's not important for him to pay attention to what the teacher is saying, right? Because at that point, he needs to just be able to avoid, let's say, the performing arts noise that's in the room. So, you know, why not put something like connect the headphones actually to something that uh, is rewarding for him? That's another way to reward this behavior, whether it's by giving him an object or a toy or a food item or by actually allowing him to plug them in. I mean, honestly, Shannon, the reason we all put those bulky things on our, on our heads is because we enjoy listening to whatever it is we're listening to. So, you know, that, that's how those become uh, intrinsically rewarding. But over time, you'll get to a point where putting them on and experiencing silence uh, will be rewarding because it will have, you will have shaped the behavior. When you do it in the classroom, for some reason, he doesn't want to put them on, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, usually when you want to train a new behavior, it's good to do it in a, in a different environment and, and actually work on that rather than trying to just change the behavior in the real life environment. You brought up such a great point, though, that a lot of times we put uh, noise canceling headphones on kids and there's a portion of the conversation that they need to listen to. 
Um, And, you know, I think there are a lot of people, myself included, that have a hard time concentrating when there's lots of ambient noise around every place, but we don't want to necessarily shut everything out. I will say that one of the things that I've seen in um, my son's school is, uh, and we actually got some for when we go out and speak and we want translation, there are these wonderful things that are headphone pieces that go to a microphone that the speaker has. So you could have, they're very affordable churches have them, speakers have them. So the teacher can be wearing a microphone piece. They do this for folks that are hard of hearing as well, have a microphone piece that goes directly into a little ear clip that can go inside the um, noise canceling so that if there's something that your child needs to be hearing, because we don't want to just like shutter them from everything, then they miss out on the learning opportunity. So absolutely. And that's really important, actually, because uh you know our goal as you said shannon is not to completely shut them off but it is rather to have them uh, be able to shut back shut out background noise and and the noise canceling headphones will completely isolate them so yeah so we want to be careful about that uh a couple of quick things i want to say hello to kirsten and i also want to say too that the you know the what you were talking about the sensomatic <laughs> I can't even talk to systematic desensitization. We had a lot of people when COVID started saying there is no way that my child is ever going to be able to wear a mask. And I, 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 I'm not aware of any of them that don't have her, their child wearing their masks for a significant portion of the day now. So you just got to have faith and, and follow the steps that Dr. Grand Pichet, um outlined. And my dog is letting you know that it works too from the other room. Uh, Nad wants to know if you could uh, elaborate a little bit on overgrowth of candida and deficiencies of digestive enzymes with high aluminum uh, being issues that can cause problems. Where do I begin? Um, so, so uh, yeah, we a lot of our kids have issues with candida or uh, yeast overgrowth. Um, and of course, that kind of makes sense from a biochemical perspective because uh, we are exposed, or a lot of our kids in the United States are overexposed to antibiotics. Um, we're very, you know, being the primary westernized uh, power, we tend to go overboard with regards to cleanliness and health and all that sort of stuff, especially now. And so as soon as anyone uh, has, let's say, a viral infection, we don't, you know, our doctors, our pediatricians don't necessarily have the resources, I would say. Uh, Nobody wants to pay for a culture to be done every time a child has uh, let's say a throat infection or something. So we never really discover if it's a viral infection or a bacterial infection. And uh, when we give antibiotics, it improves bacterial infections and it makes viral inpe- infections worse. And so over time though, when you overuse things like antibiotics and or also our diets are problematic, I won't go there. One of the things that happens is that we get rid of all of the bacteria in the gut. And, uh, you know, human beings require a lot of healthy bacteria in order to digest food and and other functions. And so when there's no bacteria in the gut or not enough of the right bacteria in the gut, we have an overgrowth of yeast. And that's just a normal thing. It's like when you leave uh, bread out, it will mold, right? It's the same thing that's going on in your gut. And when you have a yeast overgrowth, now remember the gut is where the majority of our immune system is, like 80, 85% of our immune system functioning depends on the gastrointestinal system. So when there is a lot of yeast overgrowth, there's also inflammation that goes on there. And when there's inflammation or swelling, your immune system is not functioning very well. And so all of this is uh, like a, a cycle that happens with our kids. Now, lots of other things happen too. So you have uh, essentially, after a period of having uh, a yeast or, or inflammation in the GI tract, you end up actually having what we, use, what we call leaky guts, right? So now you start to have 
uh, things that are the peptides or things that are in your gut start leaking actually into the bloodstream. And now once they're in the bloodstream, they of course start to cause havoc with all different functioning of the entire body, including the brain. So this is one of the issues that we see in our kids. And um, the overt behavior that we see and we often, not always, but often when we trace it back, it ends up being yeast, is things like walking around laughing uh, for no reason or walking around kind of like a drunk person who would a little bit off balance those types of things and actually a lot some kids actually you can even smell the yeast in their hair and in their on their breath uh kind of it's the smell of um let's say when someone has to, have, has had too much alcohol right and you can have that there's kind of a weird smell that's yeast and so uh, when that happens oftentimes we will trace back and we'll find, oh yes, there's a yeast overgrowth. Now, when you treat the yeast, there's also a little bit of what we call yeast die-off. Uh, there's lots of ways to treat the yeast. Also, we can talk about that. Uh, there are diets that specifically prevent things that are high growth yeast. So that's one way to do it. Another is just to give antifungal medications and antifungal medications vary as well. You can have very light ones like Nystatin or you can have heavier ones like Nisrol or Diflucan, which are things that might need, you will definitely need a physician to kind of oversee the process because as the child's yeast is being treated, they might become sillier before they actually calm down, right? There's this yeast die-off period. Uh, so, but it does, I have seen with a lot of children, uh, personally, I've seen their behavior change once you've gotten the yeast under control. And by the way, it's tough to get yeast under control and keep it under control. So if you are a parent who's dealing with that, do not give up. And sometimes it takes a year or more, like you will have to have many, many rounds of an antifungal medication and stay on the right uh, diet in order for the yeast to actually not grow back. You will need to supplement with massive amounts of probiotics and prebiotics in the child's food so that they uh, are able to regrow that healthy bacteria. But once you do all of this, and as you do all of this, you will see uh, uh, kind of a the child waking up a lot of times and just paying better attention and of course feeling better. So I think it's one of those things that if you are able to determine if your child actually does have uh, issues with yeast, uh, you should treat it. It's very, very much worth it. And you will see the behavior change. Well, I'm muted. Uh, absolutely. We saw that in, in my son and, and it was a, this great mystery to me. I, when people first said yeast, I was I thought they were talking about, you know, we, we talk mostly when we talk about yeast, we talk about vaginal yeast infections, right? It has nothing to do with it. But it became clear to me, you know, if you've ever baked bread, when you put the yeast in to start it, you have to put a little bit of some form of sugar in with it because that activates the yeast. This is a clue. Sugar activates yeast. Then you put the gluten in and it activates more, right? And it gets to a point where it's reached how it's going to grow and what do we do as bread makers? We punch it down. And what that does is it makes the yeast think, ooh, we're not gonna survive and it fights harder and it will grow up bigger. So that's exactly what happens in our kid. We put a little sugar in, we put a little gluten in, the yeast goes boom. We try to take it away and the yeast goes, hey, I'm gonna fight harder and it gets bigger. Um, so if we keep starving it from the things it will eventually go down, but that, that where you punch the bread down and it comes back up bigger, that's what the die-off looks like in your kiddo. And it is a particularly not fun period in your day or week or month. Um, but, you know, I, I remember when my kid was going through die-off and I was like, we started, we did this diet and I thought it was going to be better and it's worse and we're going to stop this diet. It's not working. And somebody explained to me, no, no, it's working. You're in die-off, hang out. And it made a world of difference, you guys. Uh, okay. We got all these questions. Can I like Dr. The, Marie... I like the example, Shannon, of, of how you kind of punch the bread, that the yeast, that's so true. 
Can thank you. Can Dr. Doreen share some ideas on how to fade out a token system? My kiddo lacks motivation to engage in desired behavior if he knows he won't be rewarded with a token or two. Yeah. Great question. It is a great question. And um, I don't know that you ever fully get off of a token system. You just thin out the schedule of reinforcement. So if you think about it, look at us, right? In the, in the typical world. Why do we go to work? Why does anyone go to work? Some of us, obviously, there's an aspect of reward that has to do with enjoying our work, but the vast majority of us go to work because we need to make money. Money is the number one token in our lives. And so some people need to make a lot of money <clears throat> for little effort, otherwise they won't work right? And they might become a bum on the streets or something because they're not working. Other people have a lot of resilience and they will uh, be diligent and work very, very, very hard and make enough money for a living. Um, but they've, meanwhile, they've worked very, very hard to get that money, right? So we, we are all on different token systems, right? I might say, or you can look at it, it for money is just one example. Another example is uh, just, you know, people who are willing to get up at like, let's say five o'clock in the morning and work out. For them, the reward of how they feel post working out or how they look is a, a, enough of a reward to motivate them to get up at five in the morning, right? <clears throat> for me, that wouldn't be the case, but so everyone is on a different reward schedule and using different tokens. So with your son, you it's not that you want to get rid of the token system. You just want to thin it out, and which basically means you want to make the demand higher or longer or more intense and the rewards smaller or coming at, at longer periods. And you want to make it more like normal life, things that this normal life would offer. So think about that. So, you know, it's totally fine that he lacks motivation to engage in desired behavior without a reward. That's all of us. But it's a matter of just making the, the reward, the token, maybe you want to make it a little bit more of what he would normally access in life. Like, for instance, you know, does he like having access to friends? That's a big reward for a lot of our kids. Um, other, you can think of other things. And, you know, why do we play? We play and some kids uh, prefer to play with alone. Others prefer to play with kid, with other kids. And it's all, that is that individual's reward system. So if you can find reward systems that, that pair up to the real life, to real life situations that he's experiencing. And if you can make the tokens just happen a little bit further apart, and or he needs more tokens to actually trade in. Uh, you know, tokens are useless unless you can trade them in, right? Like, so tomorrow they said money doesn't have any value. Uh, none of us would, would want to earn money because it would just be paper. Um, but right now, what you need to do is focus on just turning, having more and more uh, tokens for an actual uh, real life type of reward for him. Muted again. Sorry. Uh, uh, somebody says, my son has been on a few rounds of Diflucan and, and he seems to be a happy person and she can't tell what's the difference between when he's just a happy personality and when it's yeast overgrowth. She also wants to know, or they want to know what foods cause, cause yeast overgrowth. I just oh. want to say for my son, you know, like it was very distinct. My son's a very happy customer, has always been a happy little joyful, you know, I called him my pudgy little elf when he was little, but then there were times when he was a drunk elf, like he was bumping into things and he would just laugh about nothing for an hour, just chortle his head off. And, and, he, and while he was that way, he couldn't focus on anything. When he's happy, he, you know, there's a certain amount of interaction and I know what he's laughing at and he can laugh for an hour still, but you know, it's, it's not for, for no reason. And again, the smell that Dr. Grampy Shea was talking about, he, 
he would smell like he'd gotten into the brandy cabinet or his head would smell like fresh bread. Yeah. Great smell, but not, not good for learning anything. Did you want to add to that, Dr. Grand Pichet? No, no, that's, that's exactly right. And I guess the parent who's asking about, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you can tell if, <clears throat> I think if you have, <clears throat> excuse me, Shannon, excuse me, everyone. If you have the yeast under control, then you basically have a happy little fella there. Um, the laughing that we're referring to on, on um, during yeast die-off is a little different. As Shannon said, it's kind of like no one else can really tell what the individual is laughing at. So that's a little bit of a different thing. And think, like a drunk person, he would laugh yeah. and, and tip over. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And just lay on the floor like a drunk person. It was right. crazy when your four-year-old's doing that. Uh, and then as far as foods that cause yeast overgrowth, Dr. Grampy-Shane? Yeah. So, first of all, sugar, of course, and anything uh, with gluten, absolutely. But I have to say that in uh, there are other things that our kids are also very reactive to. They might not necessarily increase yeast, uh, but they will increase inflammation. And when you start to increase inflammation, the whole pattern uh, becomes messy and the same stuff happens that I was mentioning before. Uh, usually, let me think if I, usually we think uh, food colorings and dyes are not necessarily good. Anything that's artificial. Uh, so, you know, and you guys all know this. I mean, we all are much healthier when we're eating whole food, like foods that are fresh. <clears throat> or or not, um, they don't have preservatives. Things that have preservatives tend to cause a lot of uh, inflammation. What am I forgetting, Shanna? Uh, the one that I'm thinking of is potatoes. Um, mm -hmm. The potatoes convert to sugar, which then the sugar feeds the, the yeast. And a lot of our kids yeah. love their French fries, love their mashed potatoes, love their potato chips. It's just a thing. Well, I mean, high carb items all basically will have some of that. I really think the right, this is a very difficult thing to control. So I really recommend that you get in touch with, um, there are a lot of physicians who are kind of more homeopathic, naturopathic. Um, they are very, very good at working together with a nutritionist or a dietitian who can help you. Some, there are some dietitians who are fantastic and will tell you exactly what you can and cannot eat or your child can and cannot eat. Um, you might not even need a certified nutritionist. I don't, it depends on where you are and how severe the issue is. There are also physicians that are kind of practicing more Eastern medicine, naturopathic type stuff. And, and that's amazing as well. You know, my daughter, um, had uh, 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 stomach pain almost every single time she ate something for a long time. And uh, we were trying to do all kinds of these things that I know, uh, you know, supplementing with probiotics and altering her diet and all that sort of stuff. And it wasn't until she actually saw a physician who tested her and realized that she fully has celiac and cannot eat any gluten at all. And it wasn't until maybe nine months of being on restricted diets uh, until we saw that the pain was gone. And even today, if she has a tiny bit of gluten, it'll flare up again. So it, it's a very sensitive issue and it's a very difficult issue to deal with. I do really recommend that you get together with an expert. Yeah, in fact, we love uh, here on the show, I know you do too, Dr. Grampuchet, uh, Julie Matthews, Nourishing Hope. You can go to nourishinghope.com. She's got some great stuff that's there for you too. Yeah. Um, they want to know what the difference is between a prebiotic and a probiotic. I don't know. So probiotics are, are the actual bacteria. We're trying to replace the actual bacteria that should be in your gut. Prebiotics are... Uh, foods that will then enable your body to produce that bacteria. So they're a little bit different, but we prebiotics have been around not as long as probiotics. 
and it just it, it always is uh, interesting to me shannon because if you think about you know 20 years ago nobody even knew what a pre or probiotic is and now everybody's on all of them but i what i want to tell you is that you know i always say this if any child has a really serious uh uh, either, whether yeast or other inflammation type issues, the probiotics and prebiotics that you get out there at Whole Foods is not really going to be sufficient. Um, you really need to work with a uh, either, as I said, a nutritionist or a physician because you know, like I'll give you an example. The you know the the typical uh, probiotics. I'm sure many of you guys are on probiotics. Go out, go and look at how many billion cells are in that product that you're taking. They're like maybe um, the really strong ones are like maybe 5 billion cells, right? And the type that a physician will recommend to you and give you is more like 450 billion cells per pill. So it's like trying to populate a beach by handfuls of sand, you know? And so, it's gonna take a long, 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 long time. It's really important to try to do, uh, if your child really does have inflammation issues, very, very important to get that under control and getting together with a physician is helpful. Okay, another parent says, my son just got an additional diagnosis of anemia and pica. His mood is off and sleep is inconsistent. He already eats an enormous amount of greens how can I jumpstart his iron intake without affecting his bowels too much? I don't want to add another trigger to his meltdowns. Yeah. So um, you basically, the only way you're going to change anemia is to increase iron intake. And uh, it's great that he likes greens. I don't know if he eats spinach. Spinach has a lot of iron in it. If you, if I think what you do, there's the iron that you can purchase, iron supplements that you can purchase that also have a stool softener in them. Um, and yes, iron does cause constipation. Um, so you just kind of have to go ahead and balance it, right? So uh, make sure that you are giving him enough iron. Maybe he needs to eat more meat. Liver, for instance, is packed with iron. Um, but yes, you just have to keep an eye on it and maybe you will increase now stool softener. That's why they kind of, when they sell iron, usually it comes together with stool softener. Yeah. And I would assume that the doctor who diagnosed this would also have some recommendations as well. And people are writing in saying that anemia is a pretty serious thing. And pica can be a result, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Grampiche, of the anemia and pica can be uh, something that's extremely serious. So um, you, you may have to deal with some level of constipation until you get it right, but taking an iron supplement will, will just be for a period of time to get you caught up, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay, um, absolutely love everything. People are saying thank you. The person with the that asked about the token economy said, "Oh my gosh, I just realized that we're all in a token economy." Uh, and the the people asking about the diet have a lot more questions about diet. But I'm going to switch back to a question from last night. Hi, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. I'm a BCBA working with a six-year-old client on the autism spectrum. Um, they're in special education private school. Uh, one specific specific client has great cognitive abilities and he's a quick learner. He's fully verbal, but does not yet engage in any social language and does not engage in play with peers. He does not seem to learn by observing others. My question is, would you recommend he attend a regular education private school or stay in special education setting? Yeah, so... This is, you know, it's very difficult for me to advise you directly because I don't know your child or, or this particular child. But um, the way that I look at it is uh, you're not, it, to me right now, reading what you wrote, it doesn't seem like he is getting a lot out of his regular education classroom. Rather than saying right off the bat, I think he should, you should transfer to special ed. My thinking is more along the lines of, see, because with this child, it sounds like he might have potential uh, 
for regular ads. So I don't want to really read. Let me, let me pause you because you have it flipped. He's currently in special ed. They're asking, should they, should he go to regular? I see. I see. Thank you. So I, I don't know that um, he should, he would be ready to go to regular ed right now because it doesn't sound like he engages with his peers or benefits from observation, but I also want to make sure that he's not learning anything negative in special ed. I hate to say it, special ed does give more attention because the ratio is of a teacher to, to students is better, but there's two things with special ed that concern me. One is that there are other children who are having issues and our kids can model that behavior readily. Like it's just everything around them uh, would be something perhaps that we don't want them to model. The second thing is that in special ed, nobody tends to push our kids, right? There's very few demands in special ed and that's probably the worst thing for all of our kids. Um, it's really important to get it right in terms of how much you demand from a child, how much you can expect from a child. If you expect too little, uh, the child will get bored and probably act out. If you expect too much, the child will uh, get become frustrated and act out again. So it's really important to keep the child challenged, uh, but also rewarded heavily. Um, what it sounds like to me for this particular child is that he needs more one-to-one -one outside of school. The ideal situation, in my opinion, is when you have had a child for enough time prior to uh, engaging in school that they've learned a lot. So, for instance, that's why we start kids so young because that allows us to teach them a lot of stuff in one-to-one -one format uh, so that when, by the time they go to school, they're ready to interact. Like one of the things we teach them is observational learning, learning by observing other people. Um, and that's really, really important as well, or engaging in play. Those are just things that are very hard to teach in the classroom but they are really easy to work on when you're one-to-one. -one. Now, this, is, this child is six years old. Um, I guess where you are, and I don't know if this is even possible, some states you can do this, the parents would have to wanna do this, obviously. But one of the things that, and it sounds like he's got great cognitive ability, that's the main thing that I'm trying to, that's why it's important to do something like this. Um, I would suggest that you, uh, maybe talk to parents about doing some assessments, figure out exactly what his deficits are. You can use the skills assessment. That's a really good way to look at it. Um, and if he's able to for the coming year, now that we are, where are we? We're in December, so it would be quite a while actually. Uh, maybe this year you reduce his school time uh, in special ed, increase his one-to-one -one time at either home or at a clinic, increase his ABA one-to-one, and prepare him for regular ed in September of next year. So now you would have nine months of time to really focus on working on those things that he would need to be strong at if he's going into regular ed next year. And uh, you know, in order to do that, you'd have to reduce his, his special ed time right now because otherwise he's 30 hours a week in special ed and you won't have a lot of time at home or at a clinic. So hopefully that makes sense. I always wanna just kind of give our kids a lot of one-to-one -one preparation before they go to regular ed. I love that. And since you brought up skills, it's a great time for me to bring up our weekly um, free things that are available through skills and IBT. Skills, of course, is a, an online tool that has many different aspects to it, including the assessment that Dr. Grampiche was just talking about. IBT is the Institute for Behavioral Training, which is training for parents, educators, and continuing education for BCBAs and our, you know, new RBTs. So 
This week, they are offering for ABA parents and guardians, they would like to offer their free IBT e-learning course, Parent Useful Strategies for Your Home. This is going to be really important over the next couple of weeks when there's less school services as we go to the winter break. So it's useful strategies for your home, and it's totally geared for caregivers. Uh, for the educator communi community, they say we are offering our IBT educator e-learning module, educator behavior management, available to them at no charge. Again, super important. Some of you are coming back to the school setting in January after having not been in the school setting. The teachers are going to need this. This is a great Christmas gift for them For your, as you're looking for something to give your teacher behavior management. It's free. Just give them the link. Uh, we uh, are also continuing, this is what they're saying, their RBT, RBT 2.0 training course free for uh, our parent audience, our caregiver audience on a case-by-case -case basis. So you're going to need to call them and say that you would like it. It's a 40-hour course. It's the course that um, behavior technicians take in order to get um, to their RBT. There are other things that you have to do to actual get, actually get the RBT designation, but I, I just can't even tell you how worthwhile it is for parents to take this course. And it's being offered to you for free on a case-by-case -case basis. I'm going to give you a phone number in a second. Get your pens ready. In addition, they are also continuing to offer a 10% discount on all skills products for anyone who refers and says that they saw it on Autism Live. Just say you're friends with Shannon. Ask for the friends and family discount. Ready for the phone number? It is 877 nine seven five four five five nine once again that is eight seven seven nine seven five four five five nine if you are outside the u.s um and aren't able to dial an eight seven seven number you can email me directly s.penrod at autism-live.com and i will forward it over to the skills folks and the ibt folks so that's a great deal for you those are wonderful products uh, happy holidays, because <laughs> that, that's a great deal. Free, I like free. Um, free is fabulous. It means that you have to stir in your time, but I guarantee you, you'll learn a lot from them. Okay, moving on. Next question. Hi, my 12-year-old has autism and anxiety. He is in a regular ed seventh grade and does well. Our problem is he has small BM accidents in his pants at school and does not notice it at all. His teachers tell me that they can smell it and ask him to change his clothes. He always has extra. It doesn't bother him. He's not embarrassed. In fact, he could care less. I'm worried he will get teased if we don't get this under control. He sits on the toilet for 10 minutes every morning. Sometimes he goes, sometimes he doesn't. We've tried more frequent bathroom breaks during the school day, like every hour and daily rewards for not having accidents. Nothing is a cure-all. How do we make him notice and want to stop? He's almost a teenager. Any ideas for us? And thank you. Sure. So, you know, um, we, we tend to project on our kids what we, what we think. And, and, and it is very true that sometimes our kids are not embarrassed by certain things that we would be embarrassed by. Absolutely. And that might be happening here as well. But he, if he is, if he has anxiety, it kind of just doesn't work well together. I have a little bit of a different theory, and I want you to kind of try to check this out. Um, there's a thing called encopresis. Encopresis is when our kids uh, control their bowel movements. Um, so what they, and, and it's a it's similar to in anxiety when you have a lot of anxiety. Uh, sometimes it can lead to obsessive compulsive behavior. Sometimes it can lead to encopresis. So it's just because there's so many other things going on that the child can't control. And this is one thing they can control is their bowel movement. So and for those of us who don't know what encopresis is... Oh, you tell us yeah, is holding your bowel movement. It's basically controlling it and holding it so that you don't actually void when you are supposed to. So what it sounds like to me with him, it's not so much about the 
embarrassment, but I think it has to do with the fact that he's holding it possibly. And then it kind of like over the course of the day, he's letting some go because he just can't hold it all day, right? So that is a possibility. I would, I, I, before, I mean, and you can behaviorally, obviously, I think the, the fix before you start to try to figure out how to fix it behaviorally, I think it's important that we get, find out a little bit more. So I would want to make sure, I would want to ask you, first of all, is he on any medication for his anxiety? Um, that might have an effect on all of this. How does he sleep during the night? Um, what is in his diet? Is he, are you giving him anything for bowel movements? When he sits on the toilet for 10 minutes every morning, uh, how often does he go and is it a full void or is it like a very little amount so that he's holding it the rest of the day? So those are kind of the things that I would want to know more. Until we have an answer to all of that, I would make sure that he gets very frequent bathroom visits. That's it. I would make sure that you are he's going to the bathroom every hour during school and that he's being rewarded for not having an accident. If he still has an accident at the hour mark, then you need to make sure he goes to the bathroom every 45 minutes. You just reduce the session time uh, so that you catch him at a point before he has the bowel movement. And instead of like thinking about it in terms of um, why does this happen and he has no control over it and he also doesn't get embarrassed, uh, put in your mind the possibility that he actually does have control over it and is doing this as a form of exerting control. So um, it's a very different way of thinking about it. And that's what encopresis is. But let, you know, if you can write back to us and tell me all those answers to those questions, then maybe we can work on this together. In the meantime, make sure that they take him to the bathroom on very short periods of time so that he remains successful. Wonderful. Uh, somebody wants to know, I wonder how to increase peer imitation in an inclusion setting. I guess this is also a kind of observational, lear observational learning. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And uh, in fact, the first, uh, the observational learning lessons have a series of uh, steps and it starts with uh, you know, telling the child, ask you, basically you will progressively make it, uh, make the child go through more and more steps to get an answer to a question you asked. Uh, so for example, what would apply in terms of pure imitation is you basically ask the child, do what somebody else did. And in order for them to do that, they would have to really look at their peers, pay attention to their peers and imitate. We go further on this lesson and we actually ask the child questions that they don't know the answer to, but a peer would or a teacher would or someone else would. So they then have to learn to first ask the other child and then gradually we teach them to just look at what all of their peers are doing in order to find answers to questions the teacher is asking. Observational learning is something we all do all day long. Like a lot of times we don't know what's happening and we look around at our peers and we imitate what they're doing. Um, and our kids do learn this and it does help them quite a bit. Yeah, I, I love when our therapists are, and technicians are teaching our kids this, it's, it's kind of magical. Uh, Renee wants to know, my son started spitting for communication when he doesn't like something or access or even when he's playing alone. I ignore it, but it's not helping. When we go out, he spits at kids or people and he gets a lot of attention from it. I remind my son to communicate instead of spitting, but it's also not helping. Yeah, that's a tough one. Anything that is a function, anything where the reason, the function is attention seeking uh, becomes very difficult to manage because even if you don't attend to it, others will. Um, but let's start with you don't attend to it. So, um, you know, the whole purpose, like you're saying, my son started spitting for communication when he doesn't like something. 
So let's just go with that one first, right? So you uh, behaviors might have multiple functions. So one function is he is not liking this thing that's happening and he wants to get away from it. So in, in those circumstances, before he spits, you need to, the, or his team would need to teach him to use a different, much more functional way of communicating than spitting, right? So if he spits, you have to continue doing what you're doing. If he asks for a break or a different activity, you have to discontinue and actually make it functional. And I love the way you asked the question because he is communicating. And what you need to say, what you need to teach him is to communicate in a more functional way rather than splitting, spitting. So what that means is whenever he spits, he doesn't get, he should not get what, it, what he's trying to achieve. When he doesn't spit, he should get what he's trying to achieve. So if he's spitting, it, instead of saying, I don't want this, then you have to uh, ignore the spitting and continue to put that thing in, in front of him and ignore the fact that he just spit. If he's spitting because he wants access to something, you have to make sure he, he does not get access unless he asks and says, I want to go out or I want the toy. So uh, it's very, it's, I mean, it's difficult, but the way to manage it, the instructions are simple. Uh, do not give in when he spits. Do give in and give him whatever he wants when he asks. And when he's playing alone, leave him alone. Just don't even interact with it right now. Just leave it alone. Um, and if he's right now, he's spitting at the glass sliding door. I just saw you wrote that. Okay, so that in itself is rewarding. If you can cover the glass sliding door for a little bit with cloth or something else. A lot of times our kids will just look. In fact, it's really interesting that you wrote that and it's actually a very astute observation from you as a parent because it took us many, many years to figure out that sometimes with our kids when they spit, it's not really, it, they're, they're kind of getting a kick out of how it looks. Not, and we would have never guessed that. We, we came to that conclusion because we noticed that one of our kids uh, would always spit at an angle and he would always want to look at how it looked when he was spitting. So it's also possible that your child likes the way it looks on the glass sliding door. So um, that is important that you try to get rid of the glass sliding door. Other than that, leave him alone at that time. Other times he spits, you got a mandate that he asks for something instead. He spits, you just let him spit. I know it's a tough one. And, and you will not be able to deal with it with other people. You'll just have to get it under control at home first. And they said, wow, this is great. And thank you. And that they learned a lot from you. Thank you so much. Um, okay, Parker, I love this question that you asked. Dr. Doreen, what's your advice on the change of plans for the holiday season for people on the autism spectrum? I got to tell you, this has been the number one question that parents have been asking me this week that have kiddos over the age of 14 and sometimes that are adults, that the disappointment of this change of plans is leading to a lot of heartache and in some cases, some challenging behavior. What's your advice on dealing with that? It's very hard, honestly, and the longer things go on, the harder it gets for everyone. I, and you know, just other people, I was just talking to my mother yesterday and she's now finally after a year, poor thing of uh, being inside, she's depressed. She's starting to get depressed. People are, even if you've been one of the strong ones, you know, who's managed through this period of time, it's starting to get to everyone. Um, thank God that we have uh, the vaccines now coming and like there's a possibility that things will change for our kids. But uh, it's completely understandable that your child would just be uh, completely uh, exhausted from tolerating all of what's going on. What you can do, you know, Remember when they were young kids, I always tell uh, my friends, remember when they were young and we would just decorate the house 
to the max and make it very magical for them. I think you just have to do a little bit more of that, you know, and you just have to think of what things are possible that we didn't do and bring those back. Uh, maybe you get your children engaged in decorating more, decorating the house. Maybe you go back to doing a lot of crafts. Maybe you um, set up a Zoom sessions with the entire family so they have some sort of contact that way. Maybe you increase just reinforcers. If your rules were in the past, no TV after, you know, eight o'clock change that rule and now say, hey, during the holidays, we're going to have TV until nine o'clock. Bring back some of those things that you can bring back. It's a tough period of time. So exactly, you know, paint the windows. That's fantastic. Bring back a lot of stuff that can just, uh, maybe you're, what you're doing is you're re increasing rewards, which is all we can do right now because our normal rewards have been taken away. Yeah. And Parker, Parker has disclosed that he's asking for himself that, you know, he's feeling that depression that his family's holiday party got canceled is now turned into a spring fling. He's 23 and on the spectrum. But all the things that you just said are things that apply to all of us. Yes. That we all need to be taking care of the inner child in all of us during this holiday season. And if we can't get one thing, asking ourselves the positive assumptive question about what can I get that would make me feel better? Yeah. What, I find that when I will take the time to ask myself that question, what would make me feel better right now, that it often isn't the horrible things that I think it might be. Like, I, you know, I would think that it would be a hot fudge Sunday, but that is never what occurs to me when I say what would make me feel good right now. Often it's like the healthy things that I'm always trying to talk myself into, um, like taking a walk or getting on the treadmill or uh, you know, sometimes there are, listen, I love a good Hallmark Christmas movie. Don't get me started. Um, but you know, I try to meter that I'm not metering it now. Yeah. Uh, I'm saying I get as many Hallmark Christmas movies as I can handle That's right. and the world will continue. That's right. Uh, and, and Parker, maybe what you do is maybe you talk to your family and see if they're willing to do a zoom party. Um, you know, a lot of my, my, uh, oldest daughter is 25 and they do zoom parties with their friends and they do cooking. Uh, th this is something I'm trying to think of what to do with my kids also in regards to the, you know, when they're home for the holidays and just, uh, zoom parties are awesome. So like everybody gets on zoom and you can either just go around and everybody says what they're doing and how they're doing. And that actually takes a long time. Um, or you can even do uh, some activity together, like cooking class and, you know, some of the other family members. You just need to get a couple of people and it helps. It does help, even though it's not the same, obviously, but it is very helpful and it does help us uh, keep our morale up. We've been doing Zoom parties. First of all, we've been doing reunions with people, you know, yeah. uh, like this summer I had a reunion with high school friends and with my graduate school friends, people I hadn't talked to in 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, we Then we've done Zoom parties that are game nights where we play trivia, um, which has been super fun. We've done a lot of Zoom karaoke parties, which you would think would be a total disaster, but it's kind of a hoot. Um, <laughs> Um, and we also, because family were theater people, we've done Zoom play readings online, which has been super fun and everybody plays a part and it's really exciting. Uh, which reminds me, we're out of time and we want to thank Dr. Grampy-Shea. And tomorrow on the show, we're having Ma Matt Asner and Nava Paskowitz Asner to talk about uh, a table read that they're going to be doing this Sunday night, which it's, it's a wonderful life. If you watch Saturday Night Live, you heard Pete Davidson talking about it. People are up in arms, Dr. Grampy-Shea, because Pete Davidson is reading the role of George Bailey that was originated by Jimmy Stewart. And people are saying, this is just totally wrong. It's totally right because it's raising money for a great charity that we love. Mm -hmm. So you want to be tuned in tomorrow to talk about that because Wink, wink, there might be a possibility of a discounted ticket if you're paying attention. So make sure that you're here with us tomorrow because that's happening on Sunday night. It's star-studded and all for a really good event. 
Um, and there'll be something to do, something to do. So, and holiday. So we want to invite everybody to do that. Dr. Grand Pichet, we love and adore you. Thank we're, you. Thank you. It was we're so, so excited to have you on. I know you got to go, but I love you. And um, I want to say to everybody, make sure you're here with us tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.